together. Lord, we love you. We thank you uh, for Jesus Messiah. We thank you for the anointed one who has come in our behalf uh, to bear our burden so that we can have eternity with you. Praise you. Praise you. God, we love you. We just ask that you would speak to us this morning. Show up, God. Show up in a mighty way. Reveal yourself. Unleash your power. Revolutionize our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, Our title of today's message, as you can read, is Christ-Centered Sharing. And it's going on where we've been. Christ-centered worship, and then Christ-centered community, and then Christ-centered service, and now Christ-centered sharing. And as you turn there, I'll tell you a story I read about two twin brothers. Two twin brothers who were incredibly close, and that's meaningful to me because I'm about to have twins. So, so when I read this story, it connected immediately uh, with me. But these twin brothers were so incredibly close that, uh, and, and this part blows my mind, but th- these twin brothers were so incredibly close that they decided never to get married. I mean, they were best friends. And they said, we, we, don't, we don't even need a woman. <laughs> we, we are that good of friends. And so they, they, they uh, just lived life together, enjoyed each other, and, and got to a place in life that, that they needed to make money, and so they went into business together. And so they, they opened up their own little convenience store uh, together and, and they worked for years together, joyfully serving uh, alongside of each other. Till one day, one day, uh, a customer came in and made a purchase. And this customer uh, came in, made the purchase, and, and, and one of the brothers took, took a dollar bill. All, all the purchase cost was a dollar. And, and he went and placed the dollar on top of the register. And, and uh, he walked the customer out. Well, when he came back into the store, the dollar bill was missing. And so he went to his brother and he said, Brother, did, did you take the dollar bill? And he said, No, I didn't. And he kind of laughed a little bit and he said, Well, you're the only one here, so obviously you took the dollar bill. And his brother got offended by it. He said, No, I told you I didn't take it. And so they began to argue and, and a seed of mistrust was planted in their relationship that day. And a seed of, of discord was planted in their relationship that day. Well, as the years passed, the seed began to grow. The seed began to blossom until it became a full tree. And finally, these brothers realized, we can't work with each other anymore. This is not working out. I, I can't stand you. This has gotten out of control. And so what happened is the brothers decided to build a wall. And right in the dead center of their convenience store, they built a wall so that they would have two separate stores, one brother running each store. And for 20 years, the brothers did not talk. One time. After 20 years, though, a customer came by into one of the brothers' store, and he said, can I speak to the owner, please? He said, that's me. He said, I need to tell you something. Around 20 years ago, I was homeless and I was helpless. I happened to be walking by your store, and I saw a dollar bill laying on the register. I noticed no one was around, so quickly I ran in and I grabbed it, and I left. He said, I want to let you know that a couple years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, 
And I realize how wrong that was now. And I'm come back to not only repay you your dollar, but I'll repay you interest. Whatever you want to charge, I'll repay it. (laughs) At this, the brother began to cry. And he said, listen, sir, I don't want your money. He said, what I want is you to go tell my brother. And so they walked over to the other side of the wall, to the other convenience store, and began, and he told the same story. And when he did, for the first time in 20 years, these brothers decided to put aside their differences and allow their relationship to be reconciled. I read this story, that story this week, and one scripture came into my heart. One scripture jumped out and just, just attached to my heart. It's John chapter 8, verse 32. It says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And here's what we're talking about this morning. The truth of the gospel of the Jesus of the Jesus Christ. <laughs> the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only truth that can reconcile our lost world back to our Heavenly Father. The truth of the gospel of our Jesus Christ is the only truth. And the reality is, it is the only truth that will push us to be his ministers of reconciliation to that lost world. And so I encourage you to open up scriptures with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let's stop right there. Let's, let's stop right there and, and start with this very foundational truth that Paul gives us. Christ died for all. Alright, so we, we have this very foundational truth that we start with. Christ died for all. But then we come to this kind of peculiar conclusion from this truth. Christ died for all, therefore all died. So we have this this foundational truth, and then we have this conclusion. And what's happening here is what we see is Christ's sacrificial death is sufficient to cover all of humanity. The cross is completely sufficient to cover all sinners of all time, okay? And so we have this truth that Christ died for all. But the the missing link, what what Paul doesn't add in here that that explains the second half, that that explains the therefore uh, all died, is that the, the, the spiritual truth that we know from Scripture is that all of mankind is already dead without Christ. All right? So Christ died for all because all are already dead. All right, and so where we meet Christ, all of mankind meet, or all of mankind meets Christ in death. So He died to meet all in death, so that He may raise many to new life. Let me repeat that: He died to meet all in death, so that He may raise many to new life. And we see this uh, in verse fifteen. He says, "And He died for all that those those who live." Here's the picture: all died. But not all live. Only those who repent and follow Jesus does he raise to new life. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory uh, of the Father, we too may have new life. So what's happening here, and I just wanted to kind of fly through that for a reason. Paul is laying out the gospel. In just these couple little verses, Paul is laying out this gospel message. And the reason he's doing this is he is setting up a foundation. He is setting up a building block. He's saying the gospel message is the foundation, is the necessary foundation in order for us to accomplish the task that he's about to set forth. 
All right? We have to have this gospel foundation in order to go forward in, about, in what he is about to tell us to do, which we get in the second half of verse 15. It says, We should no longer live, or they should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's the picture We have been commanded to live for Christ. We have been commanded to live for Christ. As, as Christians, we no longer live for ourselves. Jesus put it a different way. If you remember in Matthew chapter 16, when he's talking to Peter, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, right? He must deny himself. And this is the most anti-cultural statement of all time, right? We live in what we would call a hedonistic society, We've been taught that our pleasure and our happiness is our highest good. And we have dedicated, many of us, our lives to, to upgrading our worldly pleasures. If we have a 30-inch TV, we want a 42-inch TV. If we have a 42-inch TV, we want a 50-inch TV. If we have a 50-inch TV, we want a bigger TV, all right? It, you know, if we have a two-bedroom house, we want a four-bedroom house. If we have whatever, we want more and we want bigger, we want better. We don't go from high-paying jobs to low-paying jobs. You don't ever read about pastors going from 300-member churches to 150-member churches. It's just not what we do. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. You don't always have to have or give in to the latest trend, especially if it hinders your walk with Christ. We don't demand everything goes our way or no way. We must relinquish control of our life to Christ. We don't live like the world revolves around us, but we find our value in Christ. Think about it from the perspective of the rich young ruler. <laughs> this man was willing to go anywhere. Christ, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll, I will come after you anywhere. I'll go wherever. But he couldn't deny himself. He couldn't deny whatever else it was, that money for him, but whatever else it is for us, and Jesus turned him down. So we don't live for ourselves, but Scripture teaches, Paul is teaching us, we live for Christ. And that means we live what our lives out of love for Jesus Christ. Our love for Christ is rooted in His death and His resurrection. That's why Paul starts with the Gospel. Our love for Jesus is rooted in His death and His resurrection in His atonement in His Gospel for us. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Verse 14, even in our passage, says, For Christ's love compels us. So we live for Him out of love for Him. I think a good example of this, a good modern example of what's going on in our world right now, of, of living out of love, is the story of Saeed Abedini. Many of you have been keeping up with this through the Baptist press. But Saeed was a Muslim man who came to know Jesus Christ. And, and uh, he became a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Iran. And he moved to America. And last summer, in the summer of 2012, he uh, went back to Iran just to visit family. And he was arrested. He was, he was on a bus, and the bus was pulled over, and he was taken out. And he was arrested for crimes that he committed against the state in the year 2000. That he was sharing the gospel, and he was a part of a house church movement in the year uh, or in the early 2000s rather and because of that he has been sentenced to eight years uh, in an infamous infamously brutal prison and he has endured much persecution for his faith 
But we see this story of, of what's going on around in our world to our Christian brothers and sisters, and then we see the story of his wife. Then we see the story of this wife who loves him so much, her name's Nagme, who loves him so much that she did not settle for, what can I do? He's in Iran. She didn't settle for, well, I mean, this is, this is just God's will. And, and believe me, I'm not saying that it's not just God's will. What I'm saying is she didn't settle for that. She said, I love this man. And so since that time, the nearly year and a half since his imprisonment, she has exposed her husband's case, and it has gone on an international level. She has been published in the Wall Street Journal, among many other papers. She has received international attention. She has garnered the support of the U.S. Secretary of State and even our President. And she even wrote, according to the Baptist Press, a handwritten letter that was delivered to Iran's new president. Her love for her husband has moved her into action. And the same must be true for followers of Jesus Christ. I like the way Warren Wiersbe puts it. He says, Christ died his death for us that we might live his life for him. And so gospel-centered love is what moves us to live for Christ. And what does that look like, though? What does that look like? Well, love for Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. Love for Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. John 14, 15. If you love me, this Jesus, you will obey what I command. He tells us the... Same truth, just in the negative form in verse 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So the picture here is whether or not we follow Jesus in obedience is a heart issue. And so we have to see here, if, we're, if, if loving Jesus is demonstrated through obedience to Jesus, then it is of utmost importance for us to be plugged into the Word of God. But must not let it become legalistic law. See, that's, that's the struggle. That's, that's the issue. That's the tension. Is that I want to prove my love for Jesus by obeying the Scriptures. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to prove anything. If you love me, you will do it. If you love me, it will be a part of who you are. We read Scriptures and we follow it as best as we can not to be a good Christian, but because of Christ. Right? We see how Jesus lived and we mirror his example out of love, not out of law. And so if we, even if we take one of our most uh, uh, foundational hymns uh, that, that we sing sometimes even here as, as a hymn of invitation is, is living for Jesus. And the second stanza I think is a really good summary of, of what we're going at here. It says, living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary my sin and disgrace, such love constrains me to answer his call follow his leading and give him my all and so we have this picture of christ-centered living that our life and what we do how we act is centered on jesus christ it is centered on the gospel message and how he has loved us and how we are responding in love to him but paul what paul does after this point he begins to show us that living for jesus is worked out in our ministry to others Living for Jesus is worked out in our ministry to others. Let's, let's read verses 16 and 17 in our passage. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When we meet somebody for the first time, we, there's, a, there's a list of 
superficial type questions that, that we asked, kind of to break the ice, to, to get rid of the awkwardness, to, to maybe pr- start some sort of, uh, of conversation. And, uh, and, you know, we always start with name, of course. That's our, that's our trademark identification, but we'll move on from there. Typically, if you're, for men, it's, uh, what do you do? What, where do you work? That kind of thing. And for women, it's, do you have family? What about your children? Uh, how long have you lived here? Where, where do you go to church in some places? Uh, and, and what these are, these are identification markers. These are identification markers. This is how we identify ourselves, and this is how we categorize uh, others. But what Paul is saying is that in living for Christ, these markers are not what matters most. It's not that they don't matter. It's that it's not what matters most. We must look at people from a Christ-centered perspective. Are you in Christ or are you not? Are you follower of Jesus Christ or are you not a follower of Jesus Christ? Because that is the question that divides our world. It's not income. It's not employment, it's not race, it's not language, it's not church, it's not education, it's not family, and it's not home. Scripture teaches that that Christ covers all those things. When we come under the banner of Jesus Christ, all those things are pushed away, all those things are pushed aside, and we become one, united as the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, 26-28 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you old or are you new? Are you an old creation or have you been made new by Jesus Christ? And as we begin to view people in these terms, as we move away from good person, bad person, person not like me, person like me, or whatever, whatever categories, and we start thinking more in the sense of are you lost or are you saved, then, then we will be able to do what Scripture describes next. And then that's in verses 18 through 20. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, what's happening here is, is, is Paul says, this is all founded on the gospel message, okay? What we're about to go, where we're Christ-centered living, is founded on the gospel message. And it's lived out among people. We have to understand where they stand before God because we are Christ messengers. We are Christ messengers of reconciliation. I don't know how many of you are into Christian t-shirts, I don't know how many of you do the whole Christian t-shirt thing. There's nothing wrong with Christian t-shirts. It's, it's a fine company and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just not my, it's not my bag of tricks. Uh, it's not my thing. And there's, there's really two reasons for it. First off, I don't think it's original at all. Or most of it's not, or a lot of it, rather, is not original. I remember the first time I saw the shirt that said, a breadcrumb and fish, instead of Abercrombie and Fitch, I was like, 
Really? Is this becoming all things to all men? You walk into an Abercrombie store, a breadcrumb and fish. You want to talk about Jesus? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't see the connection. I, I, saw, I saw this one the other day. Instead of Subway, it had a green shirt with yellow writing, and it said, His Way. I was like, you know, I don't go into Subway and be like, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about His Way, you know? And so that's, that's just not my thing. Uh, on the other hand, if, if the, the ones that are original, a lot of them are really silly. Uh, let me give you a couple examples here. Uh, I saw one shirt that said, Why is Satan so ugly? on the front. And then on the back it had a cross and it said, Because, because God beat him with a stick. I was like, There you go. And then another one said, Cops, Christians obediently preaching salvation. And then on the back it said, what you going to do when he comes for you? And I just get this picture of my, in my mind of Jesus chasing someone down with a nightclub. Follow me, you know. Uh, it's just not my thing. Not my thing at all. But here's the reality. If you're willing to be one of the people who wears those Christian t-shirts, then you are willing to follow Jesus pretty much anywhere. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you are marked. As people who wear those t-shirts, if you're willing to wear those t-shirts, in large part, you have been marked. If you're wearing those t-shirts, guess what? You, you are at least at this moment uh, on good terms with Jesus Christ because, because this is a mark of who we are. And as Christians, we walk around as marked people. We are marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are ambassadors for Christ, meaning we are constant representatives of Jesus. And as his representatives, we share his message. As his representatives, we share his message. Murray Harris says this, Reconciliation is not some polite ignoring or reduction of hostility, but rather its total and objective removal. That is, it's not burying the problem. It's burying the hatchet. And that is what Christ did for us uh, on the cross. He did not ignore the problem. Rather, his father sent him to die for the problem while we were still his enemies. And we have been entrusted with this message to go and share with others. I know at this point, there's kind of a, a typical reaction we either start to get tight inside, we start to feel uncomfortable, we start to feel uneasy about this whole thing, or maybe some of us start to just kind of push this message away because this whole message of evangelism, this whole message of sharing the gospel is something that you've heard for a long time, but you realize it's really hard. You realize it's really scary. You realize it's awkward. You realize uh, that, that it's very uncomfortable. And all these things are true to varying degrees for different people, but none of these things excuse us from sharing the gospel. We share because before we became ministers of reconciliation, we were the enemies of God who were reconciled. We share because we have freely been given, uh, or we freely give, rather, as we have freely received. And so the point is, our responsibility is never less than evangelism. But... Draw back for a second. Our responsibility is never less than evangelism. What we're talking about is living for Jesus. What we're talking about is living for Christ. And that is an every moment of our life kind of thing. And that is an every moment of our life commitment. And it's not that we spend every moment of our life reciting the gospel to the lost. But here's the point. Rather, we spend every waking moment aware of the lost. 
We spend every moment aware of the lost. Aware. That's why we have to see them. That's why we have to understand them, look at them as Christ looks at them, so that we can see them and see that they are lost. We can see our neighbor and we can see our coworker who is lost. And we can see uh, our world. And we can, we can have compassion on those around our world, not just because they're starving, certainly because they're starving, but we connect it to the Gospel. And it's because they are lost. And we can look at those who are rich and famous and have influence and are lost. And we can look at those who are poor and downtrodden and are lost. And we can look at people who are just like you and me who are lost. We can look at these people and we can see it in a different point of view. And then we can seek opportunities to share the gospel with them. We do it as we go. We do it as we go. We encourage our neighbors and we encourage our co-workers with the love of God. We pray for someone who is struggling and has been honest enough to share that struggle with us. We share biblical truth as part of our regular conversation. I love John Maxwell uh, 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 once was saying, you know, how do, I, how do I tell lost people about the Bible? I just don't tell them it's the Bible. <laughs> I, stare, I share the truth that's found in the Bible, and I just don't mention that it's the Bible. And they're still getting the same truth. Invite people to church to explore Jesus Christ for themselves. And, and really here, and I think this is kind of the key, making much of Jesus in everything. Making much of Jesus in everything. When we're at the ball field with our kids and grandkids, when we're at the gym or we're at, in the school halls or, or, or we're on the bass boat, wherever we are, we are making much of Jesus. The book Creature of the Word says, People within the church multiply as they live with a mission of reconciliation on the forefront of their minds. So it's not, it's, it's always evangelism, but it's more than that. It is a lifestyle of living for Jesus. Reminds me of this story I heard of Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll was in seminary at the time, and he, he went to Boston to a, uh, a Christian science uh, church, if that's what you want to call it, I don't know, but anyways, Christian Science Building, <laughs> and, and he, they went in, into uh, to this place, and it was him and a couple of classmates and a professor, and they went into this place, and there was a hostess, and, and she took him down there, and, and, uh, and <clears throat> she took him to the pipe organ, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, and she started to explain their beliefs to, to these guys. She didn't know who they were. And she started to explain their beliefs to these guys and say, we believe in the afterlife there will be no judgment. And the professor kind of sat there for, or stood there for a second and, and, uh, <clears throat> and looked at her. And he, he said, what, doesn't the Bible teach us that it is appointed once uh, for, for uh, <clears throat> man to die? And then after that, the judgment? And she looked at him and said, can I show you the second floor? <laughs> and so they, the, the uh, professor just gently said, sure, go ahead and show me the second floor. So they began to walk, and, and Chuck Swindoll grabbed the professor by the shirt, and he kind of whispered in his ear in an aggravated kind of tone. He said, we had him. Why, why didn't you nail her right there? Why didn't you make her answer your question? And he pulled him real close, and he said, would that be fair? Would that be loving? in that moment, the Holy Spirit just kind of fell on him. He, he had a moment of conviction, and he said, and the story actually turns out that 20 minutes later, my professor was sitting in 
uh, in a room by himself with that woman sharing the gospel because his kindness had opened up the door for that invitation. And that's the picture here. That's the picture. Is that our life, everything we do, every area of our life is so Christ-centered, is so Christ-focused that we are pouring out Christ in everything that we do, opening, allowing Him to open up those doors in order that we may be His messengers of reconciliation, in order that we may share that message that He has given us. And our message is this, in verse 21. God made Him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It is God's will to replace our sin with His righteousness through faith in His Son. By this we reconcile to God. But tomorrow night, we will officially have our last prayer meeting as a church as we pray for a revival for our church. And we have seen that God desires Christ-centered worship in this place, and we have seen that God desires Christ-centered community among His faith family. We see that God uh, desires Christ-centered service through our community, and today we see that God desires Christ-centered sharing. This morning, I'd like to conclude by quoting Paul in our passage right here. If you don't know Jesus today, I implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As I tell you now, now is the time of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And God, I need you. God, we need you. Father, we need Christ. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, if there's someone in here who does not know you, that through your Holy Spirit, they would be reconciled to you even this morning. God, help us to continue to understand, help us to continue to get a glimpse that the gospel is more than just our salvation. The gospel is every area of our life. So, Father, as, as we pray this morning for reconciliation between the lost and you, by your Spirit, through your Son, God, we also pray that that same message would transform us. Transform us who already know you. Transform us to follow you. Transform us to be like you. Transform us to be Christ-centered in everything that we do. Out of our love for Jesus Christ. So, Father, we need you this morning. I need you, desperately. And, Lord, I pray by your grace that you would give us sensitive spirits to what your Holy Spirit is doing that you would show up, that you would deal with our hearts, and that we in repentance, we in humility, would bow before you, laying down our lives and saying, 
I love it. God, I thank you. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.